Good morning. My name's Adam. If some of you are wondering why we're waving at the back wall, there's a camera over there, and it's great to connect with those that are joining with us online. I want to do more than just uh, wave at them and connect with them. I want to pray for them, and I want to pray for anyone else who at this time is suffering from ill health of a variety of reasons, because there are more than just one reason that people get ill. Appreciate there's one that we speak about quite a lot, but there are many. I want to pray blessing, healing, and hope. If there's anyone who's suffering with fear or concern, I want to pray hope. So let's do this. Why don't we stand? This is something that we do in a... Sometimes we stand as in, yes, we're, we're all in for this. So let's pray. Father, we pray hope and health and healing on this community. On those here in the room, on our friends, on our families, our workplaces, and for those at home, Lord, we pray that you bless them. We pray that you give them hope. We pray that you restore anyone whose body is not as it was made to be. Lord, realign our bodies, our inner beings as you made us to be. Lord, we pray healing and blessing. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? I wonder if you enjoyed the snow. Snow is still a novelty uh, to our family. And another first. We've had so many firsts. Um, we're kind of getting a little bit tired of all the firsts, but we, we, had a, we, we got a snowblower. In southern England, these things do not exist. It's a strange thing. It looks like a lawnmower. You know what this does. And it throws snow at the person that you go past and you keep saying sorry to because you keep hitting them, which is kind of funny the first few times. Uh, and as we were all taking it in turns, because isn't this good fun? It dawned on me, this may go in the same category as netting leaves off the paw or cutting the grass. It's a novelty at first that very quickly wears off. I'm guessing that's how it goes. Um, but it was fun to, to, to have some snow for a, a while. And now I'm ready for spring. I'm aware that you're laughing because it's the 9th of January and we may be nearer the beginning than the end. Uh, before I jump into where, we, where we're going and on the back of the offering, I want to take this opportunity to thank uh, the many people who gave generously to the staff gift at the end of last year. I think I said the exact same thing, so forgive me for being repetitive at the end of 2020. It's been a strange year again. And the staff, and also I want to extend this beyond the staff, volunteers have served uh, remarkably during these times. So thank you, and thank you for the generosity of which you honored them uh, and uh, affirmed your gratitude to them. I appreciate that. So I wanted to take that opportunity. Okay. So last year, for some, was fantastic, and for others, was lousy. For some, there was the hope in January of 2021 that, oh, thank goodness we've left 2020 behind. And then as much of 2021 went on, we realized, wait a minute, it feels like 2020. I did something on New Year's Eve 2021 last year or 10 days ago which I've not done for years. I did not stay up and see the new year in. 
my 14-year-old thought I was very old. She did stay up. Uh, and the reason for this is not because, not necessarily because I'm very old, but because I didn't want to extend any more of 2021. I was fine with it ending, and instead I wanted to wake fresh in 2022. So for the first time in years, without being negative or miserable, because there were some good things that happened. We had some real good moments in 2021. But the optimist in me was like, I need no more. I've had enough. And I want to be fresh to welcome the new. And today I want to look at, at welcoming the new. But you can't welcome the new without some consideration to where we've been, what's happened, uh, the good and the bad, where the, ultimately we must be people whose beginning is to give thanks for God's goodness, but recognize that in our fragility, well, sometimes we get knocked, but God is still in this. Uh, and with optimism, we say, God, what are you doing new? I want to introduce Liz, who's going to say something that I think really explains where we were and hopefully paints a picture of hope for where we're going. So why don't we welcome Liz? Hi, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Liz Salisbury. And um, so I am going to bring out my phone because I wrote this down. And it's always good to have a prompt because I can sometimes um, expand. So um, we started coming back to church in person just a couple of months ago. And you know when it's been a while? And you finally, you finally get there and you get there and you sit and you hear the sermon and you think, oh, God, you really wanted me to be here. And well, that's how I've been feeling. So Pastor Adam was talking about, you know, the past year, um, 2021, and that it looked a lot like 2020. Um, So I've Before the pandemic, so this is fall, winter of 2019, Pastor Adam was speaking on bearing fruit, and I got this vision of a fruit tree with no leaves, no fruit, Um, just bare fruit tree with weeds at the base. And in my head, I thought, okay, that's me. Now, to give you some background about myself, I grew up in Southern California. Yes. Yes. So Southern California, fruit trees. It is not uncommon when you're looking at a housing listing or in Southern California, it lists has grapevine, lime tree, tangerine trees, orange trees, all that jazz. So I grew up in Southern California and at my parents' house, we had fruit trees. And my dad was quite the horticulturist, arborist, very passionate about plants, trees. A tree broke in our yard, split, it's hanging on by a thread. He's like, oh, I'll just fuse it back together. So he tied it up and it's still growing. And I was eight and now I'm much older. Um, So my dad, again, with his love of trees and plants and 
with any plant, you have to prune it and you have to water it properly, right? As general knowledge. Now, fruit trees are a little bit different. Um, sometimes, of course, you have to prune them. You have to water them. And, but there are times when a fruit tree won't produce fruit. So you actually have to do something where it's called you stress the tree. And not a lot of people know what stressing the tree is. Um, some of you are probably like, stress a tree. Like, what is that? Um, and what that means is, aside from pruning it, you may have to cut off a limb. Or you can actually take chains and you can hit the trunk of the tree. And what this does is it causes the tree, the roots, to draw more nutrients up and it will then produce more fruit. So, yes. Um, and also, okay, so talking about this bare fruit tree, no leaves, no fruit, and there's weeds at the base. I also have young kids. Love, love the little people. Um, but you know what? One of the phrases people use a lot when you have young children and you're talking to them, they look at you and they go, oh, you're really in the weeds. And so this vision of this tree and with weeds at the base and thinking, and I'm looking at this tree in my head and I realize, I get this feeling, I'm like, it's not that I won't bear fruit again. God is just stressing the tree. This was before the pandemic. Then we hit the pandemic. And everyone has been going through stressful times. Everyone's been feeling isolated. But what's amazing is that even through the isolation, God has still been speaking to us and connecting us without us even knowing. So hearing the sermons coming back a couple of months ago, and God was like, hey, remember that tree? Remember how you were feeling? And so hearing Pastor Adam preaching about fruit, it really hit home for me. And I got this feeling that it's not that I'm never going to produce fruit again. God is just stressing the tree. And it's like I was saying, that God was still speaking to us and connecting us without us knowing. Dry bones, living water bubbling up from the ground, bearing fruit, revival, um, talking the Christmas service and saying inky darkness and a light piercing through. And when times are difficult and we are feeling like we are barren fruit trees being hit by chains, it's not that God isn't near. It's that sometimes God needs to stress the tree to make it bear fruit. And we are God's orchard. The sun is getting ready to rise. Just in your heads, picture an orchard. And there's mist hanging over it. The sun is getting ready to rise. God is tending his trees. And we are ready to bear good fruit.
thank you. So if you felt like you've taken a few hits, maybe that's okay. I'm sad if it hurts. And I am particularly sad for people that we may have lost along the way because they got some hits and sadly maybe the roots weren't as strong as we had hoped. We pray and we want to do everything we can to see restoration. But with confidence we recognize that God has a plan and it is to his pleasure that we bear fruit. And with that in mind, we welcome the gift of now and the new. So as we move into this year, uh, a question that sometimes comes along, which I want to look at in part on a big picture, and then it's kind of going to get narrower as we go along, is what is the vision? Someone said to me, what's the vision for the year? Which is a, a fair question, if not a slightly unusual question, because I thought about this, and I'm going to answer that question in a moment. I'm going to answer it in a big sense, and then I am going to come down to a, a, a more narrow sense that would be for us, and encourage you to think about the question for you. And I'm going to use two terms, which we're going to look at over the next 20 minutes or so. One term is, what is the vision? And the other one is, what is the assignment? Uh, Mike Mullen, who many of you know who isn't here today, used this word assignment to me. He said, Adam, what's, what's the assignment? When he said that, I, it triggered something in me. Part of me was like, oh, I like that idea. It's specific. It's measurable. It's tangible. There's another part of me that's like, this sounds like school. I didn't like school. Assignment to me sounds like, wait a minute, you need to get this paper in by this date. And I'm already thinking, oh, I missed it. Um, I said this to Sarah. I don't know if I like the word assignment, but there's something in it. I think Mike's onto something. She said, well, maybe you could see the word assignment as adventure. I was like, I like that. I like that a lot more. So assignment, adventure, whichever one works for you. What's the vision? What's the assignment? The question, what's the vision for the year? I don't believe it's my role to tell God what his vision is. I believe it's my role and our roles to define, express, and advance God's vision. This is where I'm going with this. As someone who attempts to read the Bible every year, the Bible is the revealed work of God through the people of God, through all of history, with a beginning date and an end date that we don't yet know, but we see that it feels like we're getting closer to it than perhaps we, we were before. Begins in Genesis, ends in Revelation. Genesis is a book that means beginnings, and Revelation is this beautiful picture that sometimes we understand, other times we don't, and we have to live in the tension of being okay with that. But it begins with God making the earth and God breathing life and possibility into creation. And it's good. It's really good when people are brought into this scenario, this situation, this wonderful environment. It's perfect. It's good. When people are introduced, you always want to ask the question, why? Why, God, did you do this? This is a question I always like. I remember some teachers at school saying, don't ask why. They're crazy teachers. Always ask why. Because why is always more interesting than what do you do and how do you do it. Why do we do it? So why did God make people? 
Scripture tells us that God made people because he wanted to be in relationship with them. So God the Father says to God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, let's make people in our image. And the why behind that is so that we can do life together in all its best. So we can feast and have banquets and eat and have time together and work together and be fruitful together. Let's do this thing. It's relational and it's good, 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 very good. If you've got past page one and you're into the next few pages, you see that things went wrong because of us. We all do things that we shouldn't do and let's not try and pretend otherwise. God in his goodness reaches out to people and Jesus is the means that makes that possible. Through his life and death on the cross and his resurrection, he is restoring the relationship that was always meant to be the case from page one. If you're still reading the Bible and you get to the end of the Bible, the book called Revelation, Revelation 22, 23 talks about Eden being restored. Eden was the place where page one began, this beautiful environment where relationships being restored. Kim, who spoke last week, read from Revelation 21, where it talks about God will be with his people and his people will be with their God again. The old order will pass away. The last page sounds like the first page. We've gone full circle. The reason for that is because from page one to the last page, God largely has one vision. And the vision is to be in relationship with people. And while we messed it up, Jesus in his goodness restored what was always the vision of God. So in many ways, it's not my role or our role to correct God's vision and come up with a better one that we like more. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus said, I've come to do the things that the Father is doing. In John 5, Jesus said, I'm only going to do the things that the Father is doing. So God has a vision, and the vision is to be in relationship with people. Now, words to help us explain this, and on my office wall, there are the words, create environments where people encounter God, which is an attempt at giving some words to what God was doing from Genesis to Revelation, that God wants to be in relationship with people. And we do that in our personal lives, we do that in our individual settings, and we do that as a church in our gathered settings. Our goal, our vision, is that we would create environments where people encounter him, because that's what God was always about. That's what God is always about. How we do that, is where we get onto this word assignment. What does it look like in your context? What does it look like in our context, in our context? How do we unpack that? That's what I want to look at. But before I do that, a comment. We are not creating environments simply where people want to come. This is what I mean by this. The goal is not to be the most attraction-based church there is. That's not... The vision, that's not the goal. That's quite a tedious game where whoever has the biggest budget predominantly wins. That's not the vision. The vision is not that we would entertain people or for personal enjoyment. We aren't in the entertainment business. The role or the vision is, wait a minute, we want to create an environment where God, by his 
power and presence dwells. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We want to create that space. And then we want to invite people into that space. Because when people experience and encounter him, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit changes us. That's the sweet spot. That's the center of the target. And the other things are just what we do around the edge to help make that possible. That's the goal. So what does this look like? I'm going to get really personal now. What does it look like in your life? And then in a minute we're going to jump into a passage in Acts and see what this looked like historically in the beginnings of the new church. But what does this look like in your life? This is a nice big picture. We've gone from Genesis to Revelation. But what about you? Where do you fit in? You do fit into the story. You were always meant to fit into the story. You were never meant to be a spectator on the side of the story. So what does this look like in your life? I'm going to break this down simply. It begins with intentionally seeking him. I don't seek him for what he might do, but to know the power and the presence of God in my personal life. When nobody is looking, Jesus often spoke about praying as in go into your room and close the door. And what nobody else can see, God can see. It begins with intentionally seeking him. And last week I encouraged people to read the Bible front to back, to get from Genesis to Revelation. It's quite a journey. There's a few twists and turns and a few moments where it's hard, a few moments where it's amazing. But it is interesting that the last page sounds like the first page because largely there's one story and one vision going on. But seeking him. Uh, A few weeks ago I spoke about fasting, about recognizing that our sustenance isn't just from products and food, but from above. I'm going to introduce Natalie, who's going to say something of her recent experience in recognizing that this vision is personal. It begins with us seeking him. Natalie's going to tell us what that's been like for her. Good morning. So last week when I was home and turned on the sermon I heard Adam mention that the week before, he had talked about fasting and reading the Bible. So I turned that off. Just kidding. I turned it off because I wanted to jump to the week before. Because for the previous two months, I had already been fasting. So I had taken a day, um, one week, or one day a week. And the reason I did this is because previously I thought about it. And it was always going to be, okay, God, maybe you want me to fast. But if I fast, you're going to do this, right? And that never sat right, never dove into it because I knew I didn't serve a God who was only going to do something because I did something. And so this time I really was, had been listening to a few podcasts and had been prompted to do it because I wanted to fast from something in my life and see how God was going to fill that space with himself. So for those who don't know, I get emotional for this. We have um, two special needs children and add a pandemic onto that. And I really haven't become the parent that I want to be. So my hope was that by fasting from control, I was going to feast on God. Tying in how Adam referred to it. Um, So, fast forward to three weeks in, 
Um, and I was taking it slowly. Mostly I can get it to dinner time and further after that. Tip, please be careful of what you break your fast with because that is painful. Um, but three weeks in, normal Tuesday, had already forgotten about it. It's pretty normal for me not to eat breakfast. Had gotten to lunchtime, was deciding between Wendy's. Oh, wait a second, today's Tuesday. This was the most amazing morning I had had with my boys. I had called my husband. I had said, I don't, like, I don't know what changed. I don't know what was different today. But they were easy, and I had enjoyed my morning with my boys. So I just, the Holy Spirit just made me smile from ear to ear, and I could see that even though I wasn't prepared or had remembered about the feast, God had gone before me and prepared the feast for me to enjoy with him. So it just has encouraged me that not to be distracted or forget, but that feasting with God, that I give up the control, and that I'm an example to my boys, and they'll be able to see the, t the chair that's at the table for them to feast with God. Thank you for your example and inspiration. If you felt last year, or even this year, that you don't feel God that much. Jesus said it, and I quote it so often, but I don't apologize for the simplicity of Jesus' teaching. If you seek me, you will find me. So for those who intentionally, at some expense, a fast, seek him, we know God in powerful ways. So firstly, seek him. Secondly, host him. The word host, interesting word. When we were driving here, Sarah said about the hosting, and I said, simply remember this. The role of the host is to host the presence of God and to host the presence of people. It's as simple as that. It's not about performing or being slick or remembering this and not this. Although some of those things are nice when that works. But ultimately, we want to host the presence of God and we want to host the presence of people. One of the things that we like about the house we bought is we've got a bit more space. And in the kitchen, there's an island. And we've had times when we put some food and some, just some light snacks on it. And people have come around. It's been quite nice to see people can just be hosted. That's what we want to do with God with his presence, with his Holy Spirit. Not just in that moment in the morning when we have a chair time or read the Bible or pray, which is a good moment. And if you don't have one of those, begin to have one of those. You'll notice a difference in your day. But hosting him in the normal, everyday aspect. The vision's big, but it begins with us. It's personal. Uh, in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, there's a story of somebody called Jacob who's in a place that he believes is very normal and ordinary, probably the kind of place you'll find yourself in tomorrow. And then there was a moment of awareness where he recognized that God was nearby. And he explains it like this, God was in this place and I wasn't aware of it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we have recognized that God is in the place that you find yourself this time tomorrow and you are aware of it? I swim quite regularly, probably three or four times a week. I've got the same routine. I swim a certain amount of laps, and then I sit for a few minutes in the 
kind of hot tub, and then off I go. This is at the Y in Easton. And uh, last week, I'm sat in there, and there's no one there, and I suddenly recognize the presence of God. I found myself praying in tongues. I found myself singing, not super loud, uh, but recognizing the presence of God in this place. I wasn't expecting it. I didn't go looking for that. I went for a swim and then a quick warm-up afterwards. And I recognized the presence of God. Soon after that, somebody came along who had a back pain. And I found it incredibly easy to speak to this person about their back. And they said, oh, I had this problem, but now this is is improving and my doctor didn't expect it to improve because the condition I have that they said is is irreversible it's remarkable I said it is remarkable you've been healed or you're being healed deliberately used the word healed and she looked at me and said yeah I said do you know who's healing you and it led into this conversation about Jesus the healer when we host the presence of God It's very easy to bring the presence of God from us to those around us. So seek him, host him, and then spill him. Uh, I could go on. I had a conversation with someone last week who I met uh, playing eight ball pool in the league that I used to play in. And this person contacted me out of the blue. Uh, And he said, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I've got a family condition I've been diagnosed with cancer, my parents got this, and my father's got this. And I had the privilege of asking him what the names of his parents are, and praying for this person, and praying for this family, two of the family members I've never met. And I walked away from that phone call thinking, how did that happen? It happens because God is in us. And that's meant to come out of us. And people are meant to see the difference. And sometimes they do, and I've just told you two stories when they did. But there are other times, many times, when they don't. Because I'm not aware that God is in this place. And I'm just going to the next thing. Or I'm distracted, or I'm busy. May I encourage you in this big vision that God has, that it begins with us. And God is in this place. May I encourage you to be aware of that. And may I encourage you that it was always meant to spill out of you. And yes, the supernatural is extraordinary, but it happens in very ordinary places, in gyms and in phone calls and in workplaces. So what's the assignment? Where do we fit in? What's, what's the hope for this year? What's the prayer for this year? What's the plan for this year? I love these questions. I love these conversations. I get sometimes distracted in December when I'm meant to be thinking about Christmas services, thinking about, God, what are you going to do next? I love the next. I love the energy that that can bring. I felt for some time that the Christian experience that many of us grew up with or experienced or even have created and sustained is not the fullness of the power that God has for us. And I say that not in a negative tone or criticism, 
but with a hope that, God, we need more of you. We want to make more space for you. We need the fullness of your presence, not just another religion that's organized in a slightly different way to the church down the road. Last year, God began began to speak to me about the idea of this word revolution, that Jesus was revolutionary, and therefore his followers were meant to be like him. We were also meant to be revolutionary. And this word is, I've chewed on it. Sometimes I've chewed on it and it's felt like an old piece of bubblegum that's lost all its flavor, but I'm still chewing because there's something in it that I haven't quite seen or fully understood, if that analogy makes any sense to you at all. So what is revolution? What does it mean? What does it look like? I want to illustrate by showing a short clip from a film series called The Chosen. Many of you have seen this. This is a short clip. This is the experience of someone called Mary Magdalene who's meeting a religious leader. The religious leader prayed for her with the assumption that his religious authority would change her, and it didn't. She met Jesus, and something happened in a way that many would describe as revolutionary. This was her experience, and we'll show the clip on the screen now. It's you. It's real. Lilith. No, no, please, don't be frightened. My name is Nicodemus. I'm, I ministered to you, Lilith. I don't answer to that name. I am Mary. I was born Mary. But... You were called Lilith, yes? Please, I must go. No, no, please, Mary. I, I am desperate for your help, Mary. I'm a, I'm a Pharisee. I'm visiting from Jerusalem. I'm a man of God. And I believe you have experienced a miracle, Mary. Are you really a Pharisee? Yes. I'm sorry, I wasn't... I'm not here to enforce Jewish law. So how do you know who I am? You really don't remember me at all. I burned incense. I don't remember. It's all a blur. I can't go back into that. No, no, I don't want you to. I can't even imagine. But you you are healed. That, that much is clear. I just want to understand how it happened. It makes two of us. <laughs> how long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said, I am his. I am redeemed. And it was so. Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. He performs miracles and seeks no credit? 
What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I, I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> I love that line. I was one way, and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. These are my thoughts coming out of the last year going into this year. Religion doesn't work anymore. I'm not convinced that it did before anyway. Salvation in its truest sense is sometimes explained as I was going one way and I was saved and completely turned around. Which is what Mary Magdalene's experience and explanation to Nicodemus was in that clip. A revolution that is a turning from one way to a different way. Revolution talks about a different order, a different kingdom order. In Jesus' day, there were so much political unrest and confrontation and expectations of how battles should be won. And into that context of kingdom, Jesus declared another kingdom, another way, another order. That was revolutionary, and that was that was breaking all the laws in challenging that. And revolution talks about a shift in society. Well, I'm not convinced that society's working. I'm not convinced in what I see in the news. I wasn't, I had no appetite to extend the pattern of 2021 into 22. I believe we need a revolution of God. We need a Jesus revolution that changes us, that changes us, and that changes everyone around us. I have no appetite to just do religious church where we try and do a slightly better version of a church experience than the church down the road, see if we can get a few more people. That's a lousy goal. The goal is to host the presence of God and be changed in such a way that it's revolutionary. I'm still chewing on this. We're going to get into this more. Um, I want to pray for some people, but I want to jump into a passage. Acts 17, verse 1 to 7. This is the story of the early church, this is the Apostle Paul, and he's traveling. I'm going to read this and touch on this, and then we're going to pray for some people. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on the Sabbath days... He reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and providing that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. 
But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and others and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. A different cultural and historical setting to today, but some timeless truths. I want to highlight some of you, some of them to you. Verse 6, the accusation against them. These men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. In a different Bible translation, it says this. These men have turned the world upside down with this message. I like the idea of that. For me, that's revolution. That's not religion. These men have turned the world upside down with this message. That was always meant to be the plan. And somehow we've been distracted, distorted, or done other things. Look at the rest of the challenge. Verse 8. These men have caused trouble. These men are defying Caesar's decree, saying there is another king and his name is Jesus. Another king, another kingdom, Jesus. Looking into this with some more explanation for you, the late John Stott expanded this wonderfully in a commentary. I'm going to read a short extract. And I want you to consider that historical context to this moment in history. And you may even connect it with a city that you live near. Boston, for example. There is something enthralling about Paul in Athens, the great Christian apostle amid the, glorious, the glories of ancient Greece. Of course, he had known about Athens since his boyhood. Everybody knew about Athens. Athens had been the foremost Greek city since the 5th century. Even after its incorporation into the Roman Empire, it retained a proud intellectual independence and also became a free city. It boasted of its rich philosophical tradition inherited from Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, of its literature and art, and of its notable achievements in the cause of human liberty. Even in Paul's day, it lived on its great past and was comparatively small by modern criteria. It still had an unrivaled reputation at the empire's intellectual metropolis. So what was Paul's reaction what well, should be the reaction of a Christian who visits or lives in a city which is dominated by non-Christian ideology or religion? A city which may be magnificent and culturally sophisticated, but morally decadent and spiritually deceived or dead. Into that kind of city and into that moment in history, With a tone of revolution in mind, they turn it upside down with their message. And that's their assignment. They bring change by declaring another king, another way of seeing the world, a better way, the way it was always meant to be, which sounds like Genesis 1 and ends in Revelation. Another, a bigger way. So where do we fit in? 
Uh, I had a dream two weeks ago that pleased me and upset me. And I'll illustrate it with a photo that we'll put on the screen. This is the grave of my grandparents, my father's parents, Wesley and Joyce Kluwer. They were great. They were like second parents. They were fantastic. We loved them. They were the best. My grandfather died in 95. My grandmother died in 98. And two weeks ago, I had this dream. And my grandmother, or nanny as we called her, was, was in the dream. And she was smiling and encouraging me in this life. And I remembered that. And I said to my dad, can you take a picture of the gravestone? I wanted to see the dates. And on the dates, there is a beginning, the day she was born. And there is an end, the day where her life on this earth ceased. And it's like this. And that really spoke to me. I felt the encouragement, if you will, that we always felt from them. They were loving. They were encouraging. But I also saw these two dates. There is a beginning date and there is an end date. We don't like to think about this, but we all have a beginning date and an end date. We know the beginning date. We don't know the end date. We don't know where we are on the scale. But here we are at the moment that God decided that you and me would be here living on the earth at this moment in history. What are we going to do with that? What is our assignment? I say this to try and bring this together, to pray this. I want to encourage you to say, God, what is the assignment that you're calling me to do? What does it look like in my setting and situation? The vision is God's vision, that he loves people and he wants to restore relationship. And Jesus makes it possible. The unpacking of it, which we're going to look at more and more, is meant to be one that's full of energy and life and possibly revolutionary. It was never meant to be religious and boring and dull. I want to pray for some people. Why don't we stand up? We know it's about seeking him and fasting helps and reading the Bible helps and being in Christian community and attending church helps. But ultimately, it's about knowing the presence of God in us and hosting him. I want to pray for some people. And the worship team, we're not, we're going to play quietly, but I'm not convinced we're going to go into necessarily a song at this moment. I don't want to pray for some people. If when Liz told the story of the fruit tree being stressed, if you felt like, oh my goodness, I've been hit by some chains, I felt the stress, Put your hand up in the air. I want to pray for you. Father, we know that you are a good, loving Father who does not intentionally hurt us, but that you desire us to be fruitful. So, Lord, for those people that say, yes, I felt felt the stress, And uh, it hurt at times. Lord, I pray healing and fruitfulness.
Lord, for Lord, more fruit than what they've known before. Lord, for the times when they've said, I wish I could go back to the way it was. Lord, may they not aspire the past, but may they receive a new inheritance of fruitfulness. Bless and heal them, I pray. I want to pray for this group of people. The what's my assignment? If you don't know where you fit in or where your place is, I want to say you have a place and you have a part to play, but that's just words. I want to pray for you. If, if you're thinking about your assignment, it may be that you're beginning a new assignment or it may be that you don't know what your assignment is. Put your hand in the air. I want to pray for you. Lord, we pray by the power of your spirit that you would empower us in our everyday assignments Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, fill those that are saying, I'm starting a new assignment, or I don't know what my assignment is. Lord, reveal yourself through dreams, through words, through scripture, however you you will. Lord, that we would know what it is that you're doing, and that we, like Jesus in John 5, would be able to say, I'm only going to do the things that I see the Father doing. Lord, bless those people that are saying, Lord, give me clarity of assignment, I pray.